morning we're going to look at uh, sections from my book, uh, Pleasing People. Someone asked me last night um, the, the name or the title of the book that yesterday's material was from. I showed a picture of the book at the beginning. Uh, just in case you missed it, it's called, it's called uh, Resolving Conflict. And it's available on Amazon and pretty much lots of different places. So uh, I hope that's helpful. So I started writing this book a, a few years ago, and um, I never really thought of myself as a people pleaser. I had confronted hundreds of counselees about the sin in their lives. I'd done the same for many of my friends, some of whom are now my enemies. I faced ridicule and censure from other Christian counselors and from my, uh, some of my colleagues. Um, position I took take on uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. I even stood up to people in positions of authority who I believed were in error. Surely, I didn't have a problem with people-pleasing, but I did. And as I was confronted with some of the material that I'm going to share with you this morning, I had to realize that um, maybe it wasn't for everyone, but there were usually one or two people in my life that I was more concerned about pleasing than I should, more concerned about pleasing than um, pleasing the Lord. And we talked yesterday some about pride. Well, the root sin of people-pleasing is pride, as I think will become uh, apparent. It has to do, basically, with making an idol of our reputation. Now, again, I don't have time to go through the entire uh, test, but there's a test in the book. I want to just read a few of the questions just so that you get a little taste of uh, the extent to which you might be a people pleaser. So let's see. Uh, I listen with anxious attentiveness when others discuss that which pleases or displeases them. How often is that true of you? I go fishing for compliments. I gossip about others to people whom I believe will be pleased with me for giving them such luscious tidbits of information. My desire for a good reputation is based predominantly on how such a reputation will benefit me in some way rather than on how such a good reputation will serve as a means to a greater end, such as the glory of God, the good of others, or some other similar unselfish objective. I worry about what people think of me. I'm willing to sin rather than face rejection from certain individuals. I believe that being rejected, here's a good one, I believe that being rejected is one of the worst things that I could possibly experience. When you're, when you're people, please, it's sort of like a coin. You know, one side of the coin says intense desire for the approval of other people. The other side of the coin says intense fear of being rejected or being hurt or fear of confrontation. When meeting a new person, I spend more time about how to impress him or her than how to minister to him or her. All right, well, that gives you some idea of the questions that are uh, on the test. Anyway, we're going to take a look now at some of the characteristics of a people pleaser. Sort of like a diagnostic test to see how badly you have this spiritual disorder, right? 
He fears the displeasure the people pleaser does of man more than the displeasure of God. Again, I told you it's sort of like a two-sided coin. Yet many of the people, even some of the Pharisees, believed in him. Some of the authorities, I'm sorry, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not admit it for fear that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. The rulers did not sin because they enjoyed a little bit of recognition. Rather, it was because, see, see, it, it's not a sin, right, to use money. It's not a sin to enjoy money. It's a sin to what? To love money, right? Well, it was because they loved man's approval. They didn't just appreciate it, thought it was nice. They loved it rather than, or as you could translate the Greek, more than they loved the approval of God. So it's, it's bad enough to inordinately long for the approval of others, but it's much worse when such longings transcend one's longings for God. The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him. This is the man who was born blind, that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned him, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind, and how does he now sin? His parents answered and said to them, answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees... We do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Actually, I think they did. Ask him, he is of age, he shall speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he should be excommunicated, thrown out of the synagogue. And that brings us to the second characteristic The people pleaser desires the praise of man above and before the praise of God. Unless he were backed into a corner with the evidence, the approval junkie might never admit that he loves anything more than the Lord. Of course I love God more than anything else. Look at all the things I do for him. Look at the times I've invested serving him. My whole life is built around my faith. Surely I don't have a problem with Loving people or um, loving people's approval more than God's approval. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees could have said that too. They do all their deeds. Why? To be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love places of honor at the banquets. And they love the chief seats in the synagogues. And they love respectful greetings in the marketplace. And they love being called by men, rabbi. Even those things that are religious, like prayer and fasting and giving, can be done with a hypocritical motive to gain man's approval. Beware, Jesus said, of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. 
When therefore you give your gifts, your alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. Why? In order that they might be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And they, uh, yeah, and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Number three, approval person values the approval of man before and above the approval of God. The people pleaser is a hypocrite. He's a Pharisee at heart. His service to man and to God is contaminated by his impure desires. His religion is more external than it is internal. What he does, he does outwardly, having as his motive a strong desire to draw attention to himself. His first thought is not, how will God be glorified by what I'm doing, but rather, how will others perceive me when I do what I'm about to do? Then the question is not, what will God gain if I do this? His question is, what will I gain? He's not concerned primarily with how can I edify others with my words. He's concerned instead with will the words I choose cast me in a favorable light? Phrases like approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15. Well pleasing to God. Philippians 4.18. Acceptable to God. Romans 2.1. Or even glorifying God, Luke 17, 15, rarely cross his mind because he's not accustomed to thinking in these terms. His selfish focus forces him to think almost exclusively of himself. He's concerned, if not consumed, the establishment and maintenance of his own reputation. And, and again, Bible does talk about a good name, but it, it's not, in his case, a good name for the glory of God. It's a good name for much more nefarious and selfish reasons. His heart so held in high esteem by others, and to hear their praises that there's little room left to entertain thoughts of what he might do to acquire God's praises. The truth is, he simply puts a much higher value on pleasing men that I'm pleasing God. He values. What do you value? What's important to you? He values the approval of man before the approval of God, for he loves the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Four, his speech is designed to entice and flatter others into thinking well of him. He may or may not do it consciously, but his words are designed to cover his flaws and foibles and to cajole others into seeing himself in the best possible light. He's motivated, motivated by fear rather than by love. The Bible makes very clear the connection between flattery and pleasing this is a quote from 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's see if I have it here. No, don't. Okay. I'll just read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
Um, sorry, sorry. First Thessalonians 2, verses 4 and 5. Just notice the connection between flattery and people-pleasing. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. A person who knows that he's faithful and has therefore been approved by God can speak freely and boldly to others. He doesn't have to use flattering speech because he really doesn't care much about pleasing man. It's the person who seeks to please people who doesn't care much about pleasing God and so resorts to flattery or attention. The Greek word for pretext means pretense, especially in the disguising or cloaking of one's real motives. The people pleaser is a hypocrite who, for fear of being found out and or for the purpose of making others think better of him than he really is, disguises himself. The makeup he uses to camouflage his true appearance consists largely of communication. Here are some of the characteristics of the communication style of the people pleaser. He rarely confronts sin in the life of another believer, even though the Bible requires him to do so. He rarely challenges or even questions the opinions of others. He prematurely terminates conflict. We talked about this yesterday usually by yielding, withdrawing, or changing the subject. He rarely reveals to others who he really is on the inside, especially his struggles with sin. He steers conversation away from those topics that might cause others to realize what he's really like inside. He shades the truth he lies, in other words, in order not to offend others. He finds clever ways to subtly introduce his accomplishments into the conversation. He fishes for compliments. He says things so that other will, others will commend him and, and praise him. He listens attentively when others talk of things that displease them so as not to do anything or say anything that might result in rejection. He frequently puts himself down in the hopes that others will disagree with his purposefully exaggerated negative self-assessment. Oh, I just did a terrible job with that sermon this morning, didn't I? Oh no, Lou, you did great. It was good. <clears throat> He finds it difficult to say no to those who make requests of him even when he knows that by saying yes, uh, that, that saying yes will not be the best choice. Fifth characteristic, and I should tell you in case I forget, this is not an exhaustive list. There are a few more characteristics in the book. But anyway, he's a respected person. Because the people pleaser esteems uh, the power and influence of men more than the authority and rule of Christ, he respects certain people above others. His penchant to show favoritism is the result of seeking the glory of men above the glory of God. My brothers, do not hold your faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if someone comes into your assembly 
with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. And there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and you say, sit here in a great place, in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now, it's not just the wealthy people that are respected by people pleasers. It's also those who are held in high esteem by others for other reasons, perhaps, than just their wealth. People who have a reputation for almost any temporal achievement may be targeted, I'm sorry, are prone. People who have a reputation for almost any temporal achievement are prone to be treated with more respect than the average Joe or Jane by approval seekers. Why? Because being approved by an important person is going to make them feel important. In the final analysis, this is more valuable to them than being approved by God. You're going to have to just bear with me. I got a new pair of eyeglasses recently, and um, I don't think the prescription is right. That eyes are deteriorating quicker than I realized in my old age. Anyway, a respecter of persons finds some temporal characteristic in his subject with, whom, with which he's enamored. He's enthralled with it because he values it too much. Whether that trait is the byproduct of sin or of righteousness is of little concern to him because he loves it more than he loves the Lord. Consequently, he courts the favor of those who possess it because they can give him that for which he's longing. He prefers to be with those who can give him what he wants. His kindness to them is not based on their need or God's glory, but rather on gaining advantage. Number six, he outwardly renders eye service to people rather than inwardly rendering sincere from the heart ministry to the Lord. Regardless of the service or ministry rendered, the people pleaser struggles to, to do it with the right motives. Pleasing and glorifying God by serving others takes the, a backseat to serving others in order to promote self. When the I serving, the people pleasing employee speaks to his boss, he's more concerned with impressing him than he is with telling him the truth. When the man-pleasing lawyer tries his case, he's more concerned with convincing his client that he's earning his fee than convincing that justice is done. When the approval-seeking housewife overcommits herself to extracurricular activities outside the home, to the neglect of her husband and or children, she's more concerned about her reputation among her friends than she is about the Lord's reputation. When the approval-loving pastor is more concerned with how his congregants will see him than he is about how they'll be edified through his message, He's more concerned with pleasing people than with pleasing God. The person who gives eye service evaluates his success or failures not on the basis of whether God was pleased with his service, but rather on how well he performed. If you're a God pleaser, you know that you perform to an audience of one, the Lord. Now, there are several other criteria in the book that we won't have time to cover in uh, this message, but uh, this will give you an idea of uh, some of the most prominent ones, at least. 
Now, the second chapter in the book, I talk about the extent to which it is lawful to please people because the Bible does say there are times when we have to please people. So let's just briefly run through these. First, it's lawful to please people to the extent that such people-pleasing is not the leading principle of conduct or your primary motive of your actions, but rather is subordinate to the love of God and the love of neighbor. The Bible assumes that man, to a certain extent, naturally desires approval from others. It's not wrong to want to be approved by others. It nowhere cautions him, the Bible does, against having a sober-minded desire for approval. Listen as I read from Luke chapter 14. And he began speaking to a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they were picking out places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man, and then in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will have honor in the sight of all those who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus does not condemn the man who, after humbling himself, receives honor in the sight of all who dine with him. Contrarily, he seems to use this innate desire for esteem as a motivation to be humble. I mean, over and over again, it was the same Proverbs, right? At least two places, and then it's repeated throughout the New Testament in one way or another. Before honor is humility. Well, if it was wrong for us to want honor at any level, that verse wouldn't make sense. So it's not that we don't like honor. It's not that we don't like to, to have approval by other people. I mean, think about it. Well done, you good and faithful servant. I mean, there are lots of places in the Bible where it's understood that uh, seeking, that being honored, that wanting to be honored is not a sin. But as I said, it's the inordinate love for it. It's when it's the overruling principle in your life. It's when you pretty much do everything, tithing, going to church, being a good father, being whatever you do, primarily because you want to build your reputation more than the Lord's. That's when you get in trouble. Number two. It's lawful to please people to the extent that the establishment of a good name for the cause of Christ is your motive. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of trying to have a good name. A good name is more to be desired than great riches. A good name is better than good ointment. Dead flies, I'll this one Ecclesiastes 10 and 1. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Again, are you doing it to build your kingdom? You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians had to defend himself. You remember that whole story that someone was, was really um, sort of throwing darts at him and falsely accusing him? And he says, you may think I'm defending myself, but really I'm doing it for your sake, okay? You've got to be sure that you're more concerned about God's glory and his kingdom than about your glory and your kingdom. It's the, what's the predominant uh, theme, the predominant uh, view of your desire for approval. I should say the, pre the predominant motivation. Okay, number three, it's lawful to please man to the extent that the Bible commends you, commands you to please, honor, and obey your parents, your rulers, and your superiors. 
Bible talks about parents. Honor your father and your mother. Your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The pleasing of rulers. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. The pleasing of superiors, right? Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on the earth, not with external service as those merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's lawful to please men to the extent that the Bible allows you to please your spouse. Here's what we don't think about a lot. Paul says, I want you to be without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is unmarried cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Fifth, it's lawful to please people to the extent that you... that you are uh, attempting to, yeah, I, I abbreviated here, is lawful to please people to the extent that you are to become all things to all men whom you are attempting to serve for Christ. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And uh, finally, it's lawful to please people by denying yourself the use of your Christian liberty so as not to put a stumbling block before a weaker brother. We spoke about this a little bit yesterday. We who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not just to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification for even Christ did not please himself. I see. A little bit behind. Okay. Okay, now, how do we overcome the inordinate love of approval? Here are some guidelines. First of all, it's helpful to understand the dangers of being a people. Let's go through a few of them. Number one, inordinate people pleasing brings you into bondage by enslaving you to every man you desire to please. You are bought with a price, Paul says. Do not become the slave of men. Peter said, For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were the slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So we hear a lot about addictive personalities, right? We all have addictive personalities. And the verse I just read in Romans basically says we have two choices. Either we're going to be the slave of sin, it's going to result in misery and in death, 
and we're going to be in bondage or we're going to be the slave of righteous, slaves of righteousness. We're going to be free and it's going to result in eternal life. We all have a tendency to be addicted to one thing or another. So I mentioned the two, I mentioned the two sided coin uh, a minute ago. Heads, intense desire for praise and approbation. Tails, inordinate fear of rejection. Being a people pleaser is like having a handle on your back. When you want to please people more than God, imagine you have this handle on your back. And other people can grab it and pull you over here and push you over there and slide you to the side. You've got to break that handle. God wants you to serve others. Here's some examples. Here's a woman who's married to a man who professes to be a Christian, yet he's involved with continuous sin. She chooses rather to live with the sin and its consequences rather than putting biblical pressure on her husband to repent. Why does she do this? Because she's afraid of his rejection. She'd rather cover up her husband's sin rather than follow Matthew 18, 15 and half a dozen other, dozen other passages that say if a brother or sister is continuing in sin, in sin, you've got to deal with it. Here's a pastor, I've seen this one dozens of times, who knows what the Bible says about disciplining its members who continue in sin, yet because of fear of offending someone in the church, or losing some in the church, or worse, because of fear of losing his job, he will not take his responsibility to shepherd and heal God's people seriously. Thus, like the religious leaders of John, in John chapter 12, who would not confess him for fear of being put out of the synagogue because they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God, these pastors were brought into bondage because of their fear. Excessive love of praise undermines its own end by taking from you the honor which you so eagerly seek to gain. Proverbs 25, 6. This is probably the proverb that Jesus built upon when he told the story about being invited to the guest and taking the lowest place, being invited to a feast and taking the lowest place rather than the highest place. Do not claim honor in the presence of a king and do not stand in the place of great men for it is better to be said to you, come up here than for you to be put lower in the presence of the prince. The very thing you long for, the esteem of others, will be sabotaged by your inordinate desire for approval. Those you desire to impress will be offended if not repulsed by the pride which generates your lust. The root problem here is pride. When you come across a proud person, right, it's repulsive. It's like you just, you just want to run away from the person or you want to put him in his place. Well, you can't cover this stuff up. If you're an approval junkie, people are going to know it pretty quickly and they're going to know sooner or later that it's a manifestation of pride and the very thing you want to protect, your own reputation, is going to be hurt because you're seeking the wrong things. You're seeking people's approval rather than God's approval. Immoderate people-pleasing causes you to lose eternal rewards. Beware of practicing your righteousness 
four men. I read this before. Let me read it again. To be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who's in heaven. When you give your alms, right? When you pray, when you fast, don't do it in front of other people. Go into your closet. Don't tell anybody. Wash your head. Anoint your face. Otherwise, you'll appear to other people to be fasting and you will lose your reward. We take that very seriously enough. I mean, we just boast and talk about our accomplishments, and it's like, yeah, you just lost it. I mean, do you really th take Jesus' word seriously? Therefore, we have as our ambition, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So do you want your rewards now? you want the approval now? Or do you want it when you get to heaven? Imagine there's a pile of $1 bills here and a pile of $100 bills here. And I give you a basket and I say, you've got 30 seconds to come up here and fill your basket from either pile. Which pile are you going to go for? The inordinate desire for approval blinds you to your own sin. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatever they bid you to do, that observe and do, but do not do after their works, for they say and do not. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do, why? In order to be seen by men. They make broad their phylacteries, enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost seats, most seats in the rooms, uh, in the feasts, chief seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and be called by men, Rabbi. Woe unto you, blind guides who say, whoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. You, blind, you fools and blind, for which is, count the blinds, we've got two so far. You fools and blinds, which, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on the altar, he is guilty. Fools and blind, number three, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Whoever therefore swears by the altar, swears by it and all things upon it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. He who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God's and by he who, him who sits on it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to have left the others undone. Blind guides, number four, who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Fifth time, blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is inside the cup and the platter, and the outside may be that the outside may be clean also. How does the lust for people's approval blind you to your sin? Well, here are a few. It tempts you to exaggerate your virtues. It tempts you to minimize your flaws. It tempts you to distort and magnify the seriousness of your flaws. It tempts you to change things in your life according to man's priorities 
rather than following the agenda of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many things have you changed in your life that at the end of the day weren't really sin? You just wanted to look better, or you just wanted people to think better of you. You spent all this time trying to work on the outside. Meanwhile, you've got this life-dominating sin or this pattern of sin that you just kind of, yeah, I'll deal with it. I'll pray about it, maybe. But when it comes to how many hours you invest in dealing and changing things that will make you look good in the eyes of other people rather than things that will please God, you know, your priorities are out of whack. It focuses your attention more on trying to change the outer man than the inner man. It presents itself to you as being benign. I just want people to like me. What's wrong with that? When in fact it's cancerous. It's nothing less than pride, the most deadly sin imaginable. And we talked about pride yesterday, for those of you who are here. The excess love of praise tempts you to believe man's opinion of yourself over God's opinion. How can you believe, Jesus says, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from God? To the extent that you are seeking to please people more than God, you value the opinion of fallible men more than you will the opinion of infallible God. If they perceive you or the people to be better than you are, you'll trust their judgment over that of your own conscience. If they perceive you to be inadequate in an area of your life that God says it's not a biblical inadequacy, not a sin, you'll hasten to change it at any expense, though you know the Lord would rather have you invest your time and effort changing things that are more offensive to him. To the extent that you're seeking to please people more than God, you will focus your attention on fixing such outward things as your appearance or your impressiveness or the impressiveness of your possessions, your religious activities. And like the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll make sure that the, out of the outside of the cup and the platter is clean, but you'll neglect the inside. You, like they, will strain out a gnat and swallow a camel because you overmuch value the opinion of man. You'll forget that the best way to win the approval of God, I'm sorry, the best way to win the approval of good men is to develop by God's grace the character of Christ. And should you not forget to work on your character, you'll do so for the wrong motives and thus lose your rewards. You'll perform your ministries for the purpose of being seen by people and all of your efforts will be tainted by your pride. Thus God will resist you even in your attempts to serve him because at heart, you're a people pleaser. Six, the inordinate desire for approval makes you susceptible to flattery and renders you more vulnerable to deception and manipulation from others. A man who flatters his neighbor, Solomon says, is spreading a net for his feet. What is flattery? Flattery is trying to influence or gain an advantage over someone by praising or pleasing him in word and deed above and beyond that which his character merits. Be careful about praising people too much for things that don't matter to God. When you're inordinately desirous, desirous of praise, you become blinded to the attempts of others who lie in wait to deceive and manipulate you by flattery. You can't see the snare they've laid for you because its color is the same color of the tinted glasses you've chosen to wear, the color of approval. 
had you not been wearing those favorite people-pleasing glasses of yours, but rather wore the God-pleasing glasses of Scripture, you likely would have seen the snare and been able to avoid it. I think, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to skip over this. Just some um, steps to um, becoming susceptible to flattery and cajolery. The inordinate desire for approval makes you susceptible to many other sinful temptations. It tempts you to say yes when you ought to say no. That's one of the chief characters of a people pleaser. just has a hard time saying no. It tempts you to be a respecter of persons, to show partiality. It tempts you to give in to peer pressure. Mom and Dad, I really believe we could teach our kids, you guys, if you guys really want to learn how to deal with peer pressure, if you want to be impervious to peer pressure, learn how to please people, uh, please God more than pleasing people. I don't know of anything else to protect our kids from giving in to peer pressure, but teaching them how not to be people pleasers and teaching them how to be God pleasers. It tempts you to be indecisive. Why does it tempt you to be indecisive? Well, you know, you have a decision to make and rather than ask yourself, okay, what does the Bible say? What does God want me to do? It's like, okay, what's this person going to think if I do that? What's that person going to think? What about this person? What about this person? And you spend all this time trying to figure out what to do. You know, it'll take you an hour and a half to cross the street because you're trying to figure out who to please instead of just doing what the Bible says you should do. It tempts you to choose the wrong kinds of friends for the wrong reasons. Or two, cultivate an appetite for the approval of him who judges righteously, and not only his words, actions, and attitudes, but also the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Actually, that, that should be not only your words. Yeah. Not only your words, but your actions, attitudes. Right? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The very best way for you to eliminate the lust for people's approval is to replace it with a lust for God's approval. This is probably the most convicting book I've ever written. The first half of the book talks about the dangers, as you can see, of being a people pleaser. And it's helpful because you, you realize how totally futile it is to want to please people more than God. But the second half of the book talks about the solution, the real solution, and that is learning how to become more and more of a God pleaser rather than a people pleaser. What are the benefits of trying to please God more than man? Well, first of all, you only have one master to please instead of many. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one or love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Richard Baxter says, If you seek to please God first and are satisfied with that, you have but one master to please instead of multitudes. And a multitude of masters are harder to please than one. 
The one you please is wiser than men and will neither misunderstand you nor treat you unreasonably. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How many times have you been misunderstood by others? How many times have your words, actions, attitudes, thoughts, and motives been misjudged by those even those closest to you? How many times has the Lord exactly misunderstood you? You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. There's not a word in my mouth that you don't altogether know about it. How many times have others been unreasonable with you? How many times have they taken advantage of you and mistreated you? How frequently has man criticized you and falsely accused you? How many times have you been robbed of justice and equity by your fellow man? Can you say such things about Almighty God? Why then would you choose to court the favor of people over that of your wise and merciful heavenly Father? It doesn't make sense. It's stupid, right? Why would you stoop to serve such an unjust master as the multitude of unreasonable men when you could serve the most understanding and reasonable creator and sustainer in the universe? Doesn't make sense. The one you please will not judge you. I'm sorry, the one you please will judge you not on outward appearance but on that which is in your heart. Do not look at his appearance nor the height of his statues because I've rejected him. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's a quote from Hugh Blair. God is the only unerring judge of what is excellent. His approval alone is the substance of honor. All other praise is but the shadow of honor. But the sovereign of the world sees you in every light in which you can be seen. From him you may receive the praise of good actions which you had no opportunity of performing. There's even a verse in the Bible that says if you're willing to give, if you're willing to do something, God counts it as though you'd done it. For he sees you them through your motives. He judges you by your intentions. He knows what you would have done if you only had the opportunity. You may be in his eyes a hero or a martyr without undergoing the labors of the one or the sufferings of the other. His inspection, therefore, opens a much wider field of praise than what the world can offer you. And Solomon says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment comes from the Lord. The one you serve, the one you please, is not an inspector of persons. God is not one to show partiality. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges you according, judges according to everyone's work, conduct your time throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And lots of other verses in the Bible about God not being a respecter of persons. The one you please is immutable. I am the Lord, I do not change. Baxter said, he is one that is constant and unchangeable and is not pleased with one thing today and another tomorrow, nor with one person this year with whom he'll be weary of the next. Think about the people you're trying to please. I mean, how many of your friends, former friends, are no longer your friends because for some silly, unbiblical reason they hurt you or rejected you? Is God going to do that to you? What are you trying to please people for? It doesn't make sense. When you please does not require you to harm yourself in order to please him, but it's 
pleased only with those things that will ultimately lead to your own happiness. Happy are those who hear the word of God. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Man, on the other hand, is quite different. Man says, if you really want to please me, go in the debt and buy me what I want. Or do whatever it says, whatever it takes to lose 10 pounds. Or go to bed with me. Or get drunk with me. Or get high with me. Or let me cheat on this test by looking over your shoulder. Stay home from church so you can be with me. God doesn't require you to hurt yourself. So please him. People often do. The one you please will not be influenced by talebearers, gossips, or false accusers. Neither will he be misled by misinformation. He will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Most men will believe the bad they hear about you secondhand and allow it to influence their opinion of you more than they would believe and be influenced by a good report about you. Even though that's clearly what the Bible says they shouldn't do, you know it's true because you've done it to other people. Ecclesiastes, was it, 7.11, 7.21? Do not take seriously every word that is spoken lest you hear your servant curse you for your own heart knows that many times you also have cursed others. You do it yourself even though you know it's sin. Other people do it. Even Christians do it. Why are you trying to please them more than you're trying to please God? How am I doing here? Okay, I'm going to have to run through the rest of this. There's, there's a lot more in the book if you're a glutton for punishment. What else can you do? You can contemplate the profound futility and other, other impossibility of trying to please people. If nothing else, if nothing else will convince you, this will. And I hate that I'm running out of time. It's fruitless. Why is it impossible to please people? It's fruitless to try to please people because each person is different and therefore by pleasing some, you will inevitably please another. Who makes you to differ from another? God does, right? If I tell too many stories, some of you will think, well, that guy, he, uh, he tells a lot of stories, but you don't walk away with a whole lot of depth. If I give you dense material like I have this weekend, some of you will be happy and some of you will say, just too much. I couldn't, po- couldn't possibly process it all. You should have told more stories. <laughs> it's unrealistic to try to please people because their selfishness distorts their thinking and raises their expectations above that which you could reasonably fulfill. Sin has affected every part of people's minds. I I love this. I love this uh, quote by Baxter. You'll appreciate this. It's written to pastors. Remember that men are so selfish that their expectations will be greater than you will be able to satisfy. They will not consider those things that might prevent you from giving them what they desire, such as your ministry to others, your job, or your necessary diversionary activities. They will want you all to themselves as though you had no one else to care for but them. 
Frequently, when I was under tremendous time pressure, a multitude of people each thought that I should have spent all of my time with them. When I visited with one, there were ten offended that I was not visiting them at that very moment. When I was speaking with one, many more were offended that I was not rather talking with them. If those with whom I'm speaking consider me to be courteous and attentive, those with whom I could not converse except maybe for a brief moment or two consider me to be discourteous and inattentive. How many have been upset with me because God in conscience commanded me to spend time on greater and more important things. It's futile to try to please people because most men are unregenerate and foolish. I'm sorry, they're, they're unregenerate and believe you to be foolish and strange. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, right? Foolishness on him. They basically think if you're a Christian, you've fallen out of a tree. You're a weirdo. Like, what are you trying to please them for more than you're trying to please God? In regard to these things, they think it's strange that you not run with them to the same flood of disappointment evil of you. You'll be profoundly disappointed You'll be profoundly disappointed if you, as a Christian, try to please unregenerate men, expecting them to approve things in your life which they either, which either convict them of their sin or expecting them to understand things in your life which they have no capacity to understand. You know, right now there are thousands of voices in this room and you can't hear them unless you have a receiver. I mean, think about it. There's, there's television, FM, AM, Satellite TV, fire, weather, telephone signals, thousands of them, but you can't hear them until you have the receiver. Well, as a Christian, you have the receiver to hear the Holy Spirit. They don't. They don't understand what you're talking about. They don't understand the things that you understand. Not that you shouldn't try to help them understand, but they're not capable of understanding the way we are because we have the receiver. Well, I've got to run through this. It's, it's unreasonable to please people because even among Christians, judgmental attitudes and critical spirits are too prevalent. It's pointless to try to please people because even Jesus Christ, the perfect man, did not please everyone. It's useless to try to please people because people are fundamentally incapable of being pleased by anyone other than Christ. And the best way you can please people is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. All right. Well, I'm going to have to stop there because I'm two or three minutes over. Um, I hope you get the drift. I hope you understand um, how stupid it is, how foolish it is, how sinful it is, how futile it is to try to please people more than you try to please God. Father, thank you for your word. Um, there's so much more that the Bible says about this topic, but I pray that what we've said today will really at least begin to convict people and at least begin to help people um, start seeking to please you more than they've sought in the past um, to please people. In Jesus' name, amen.